This is Transistor.fm. All right, it is Thursday. Justin Jackson here. This is the Product People Show. And good gracious, I didn't publish last week, did I? I said I was going to publish every Thursday. And last Thursday, I just realized this, I didn't have a new episode. Jeez. Sorry about that. There's been a lot going on. I actually just got a new job. And this will be interesting for long-time listeners of the podcast. I got a new job with Sprintly. Sprint.ly. They were a sponsor of this show uh, as soon as we started. And they were a sponsor all the way through until I decided I was going to have sponsors for a while and took a little hiatus. And wouldn't you know it, now I'm working for them. And that's been pretty fun, actually. I was a fan of Sprintly before they were a sponsor. I was one of their early users, and I still think it's the best way to manage software teams. And now, because of the podcast and because of everything else, I have a job. So do me a favor and help welcome me to Sprintly. You can go at Sprintly on Twitter and say uh, welcome to the team at MIJustin, or you can check out Sprintly by going to sprint.ly and just tell them that I sent you. So this week, man, there's a lot going on. First of all, Product People Club is really close to launching. We've had people in the beta now for uh, over a month for sure. And I think you're going to really like it. The feedback that's coming back is really good. So productpeople.club, sign up for the waiting list. And you'll be the first to hear when we officially launch. This interview is with Paul Jarvis, one of my all-time favorite people on the web. He's just, he's just a good dude. He says some people don't like him, but I think that's ridiculous. He's an amazing designer. He's an amazing writer. And just a powerful, creative force to be reckoned with on the web. This is a segment of a longer interview that you can get in my new course, Build Your Audience. If you go to justinjackson.ca slash audience course, there's a full video case study with Paul. And I thought I would share, open the curtains and share a little bit for you. So sit back, relax, turn on those headphones and enjoy this conversation with Paul Jarvis. But first, let's listen to a little striker. Longer. Oh, there we go. All right. I'm hey. here with fellow Canadian Paul Jarvis. How's it going, Paul? Hey, man. I feel like I should be saying, like, take off or hoser or something. Or we <laughs> should both be, like, crushing a beer or something yeah. like that. That would be fun, actually. That yeah. would be fun. Are you? Are I've you got my water. 
Uh, let's see, I was just. Gonna, are you a big drinker? Are you do you are you a beer no. guy or? I'm allergic to alcohol, so I'm pretty much the life of the party. Yeah, so you're you are as clean as they get. You're a vegan and you don't drink alcohol. Yeah, no gluten either. No gluten either, man. Yep. Man, oh man, oh man. Um, coffee. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. And I'm glad that I live in Victoria because Victoria has amazing, amazing coffee. Yeah, you know, we just have uh, uh, my buddy Andrew just opened a coffee shop here in Vernon. He's from the island, so he grew up with all those great shops on the island. He just opened up a coffee shop called Triumph that serves first great coffee shop in Vernon, basically. And it makes such a difference if you're really into good coffee, having someone that really is into that can find all the great roasters and all yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. And that was like, like when I went to Portland, I couldn't believe how much good coffee coffee they have there. Oh, yeah. It's unreal. I think we should do a big meetup in Portland. That would be fun. Yeah, I mean, well, WDS is happening, I think, next in two or three weeks, but like a separate from that, maybe yeah. a bit in the future, because I can't get down for that, but yeah. Do you, do you go to WDS? Is that one of your things? I don't go to things. <laughs> <laughs> you just, you just, sometimes you can get you on a Google Hangouts chat, but that's it. Exactly. <laughs> I'll come to you digitally live, but that's about it. <laughs> All right, so Paul, I know who you are, and I, I imagine some people in my audience know who you are, but for those that don't know, what are you kind of about these days? What do you do? Uh, what do you do for work? What do you do for a living? What's, what's your deal? Uh, my dear, I, I'm glad I know what I do. Well, actually, I don't always know what I do. Right now, I kind of know what I do. So the main thing that I do is, well, I guess not really the main thing. What used to be the main thing that I did was web design, <clears throat> mostly for creatives, entrepreneurs, that kind of thing. What I've been doing more lately is writing books, articles, courses, all that sort of stuff, and that's kind of taken up a lot of my time. So yeah, I guess I'm a web designer and a writer and a gentleman of adventure, which is like <laughs> the tagline I've been using lately. <laughs> what? That's an interesting actually, because I mean it's kind of funny. But what does adventure mean to you? Um. Well, and we were talking about this at the the pre-show, like get about getting outside and stuff. So I think adventure for me is mostly like getting outside by myself with my camera into the woods. I mean, I live in Victoria, so getting out to the ocean, getting out to the woods, and just like going for walks, taking pictures, and uh, and enjoying the life of, of leisure on the island. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're going to get into some product stuff later, but I think even that point right there, this idea of why, um, why, what do you want? And so how do you, how do you manage that? Because I think for a lot of us makers and creators, it's so easy to just get stuck in front of the computer and sometimes even just to like lie to ourselves and say we're being creative and productive. Yeah. And it's hard to get, you know, like to get outside and do all those things. So how how do you manage that yourself? Like what is the balance for you in terms of making a living and then actually doing the things that you want to do? Yeah, and it, it's a struggle, right? Like I'm like I'm being productive now. I'm on Twitter and Twitter's part of my business. It's like Yeah. For a little, yeah, for a little bit, that's the case. For hours a day, not really the case. So for me, it's like 
And I think it's um one of Chris, the guy that works with Chris Brogan, Rob, I can't remember his last name, wrote something called like work like you're on vacation. And the premise is basically something that I've been following for ages. It's like if you only have a tiny amount of time to get stuff done, then you're going to be super productive. So for me, it's like if I can sit down for two hours and just bang out a few blog posts, bang out a few articles for some publications, and then go outside for a little bit, then that to me is being productive. And I find that the more I take breaks from work, the more productive I am, which seems so counterintuitive. Like, why are you walking away from your desk when you, you have stuff to do? And it's like, if I even take 10 minutes to stretch or if I go for a walk for an hour, I, the work is still going to be there when I get back. But I get back to it and I'm refreshed and I'm focused. I can just kind of, like, get through it. So I think working with not thinking, like, okay, I, I can work for 12 hours today, so I'm going to sit at my computer for 12 hours today. There's no way you're working for 12 of those hours. But if you're like, okay, I, I'm going to work for, like, four hours today, then you're going to get all your stuff done in those four hours and then go bugger off and do whatever you want for the other, like, how many hours are left in the day, 18 minus sleep. Yeah, exactly. This is the thing. I What's weird, because, I, I mean, I still work full-time, and when you work full-time, there's an expectation that you're in front of your desk for eight hours, right? That's just kind of the way it works. But it's funny, a lot of, even the, a lot of the folks like you that have made this jump to being independent, it's, sometimes we still get stuck in that, don't we? Like, you've got to be in front of the computer for, you know, hours and hours, when really, do you need to? Yeah, we get trained. It's funny because we, like, a lot of freelancers come from working full-time for someone, right? And they, like, oh, when I work for myself, this is going to be so different. I'm going to be the best boss ever. And I wrote an article, like, if you work for yourself, your boss is an asshole. And it's, like, it works out that way a lot of the time. Like, we think that we push ourselves, and then we think that, okay, well, I'm going to just use all this time. I'm going to work all the time. You burn out, and then you get, then you don't want to do the work that you're doing for yourself. Well, obviously for clients and stuff too, but you get kind of like, why am I even doing this? My boss sucks, and my boss sucked before, but at least he was taking care of, like, dental. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're, you are the new boss, and you don't even give yourself any benefits. Exactly. It's awful. Right? Like, I imagine when you first went independent, you were just hungry, like, like physically hungry. Like, you needed to put some, you know, some vegan... Uh, food on the table, right? I'm vegan, so I'm always hungry. <laughs> I live on air and good intentions, and I, I, I starve. <laughs> so, I mean, like, was that how was it for you when you started, and how has it changed till now? Yeah, so when I started, I had worked for, I, got, I dropped out of university for computer science, and I went straight to an agency because I had done. I built a product that got pretty big online because the web only there was only like six websites, so it didn't take much <laughs> to get popular back then. Yeah, but yeah. so I made a website that got some publicity, and an agency in Toronto where I lived was like, "Hey, we think that our clients can buy webs will buy websites off of us. We can build that into our like campaigns and stuff. You build websites, come work for us." And I was just like, yeah, "I'm not enjoying school, anyways." So I only worked there for a year though, and I kind of. I realized how much I like working with people to help them solve their problems with my expertise, but how much I didn't like working for somebody else who didn't give a shit about that. Like, the, my boss didn't care. Like, he was unfortunately more interested in cocaine than in helping clients, which is a whole <laughs> other story. But so I was like, We want to hear those stories, man. <laughs> 
So I was just like, I, I need this isn't this isn't why I'm doing it. Like I'm I'm working with people at the company that I I'm not stoked on, but I'm working with clients that I really like. So it's like I just want to cut out the stuff I don't like and just focus on the helping clients. So that's really why that's really why I started. And then as I've gone, it's been more of a like I I want to help people like build their businesses online and do better with business. And now it's more of a focus on these are the type of people that I want to help. So now I'm a bit more specific with my audience where it's like, I don't know where to start. If it was just like, hey, I want to build websites for people that want websites. It's like, I, I don't know where to start. That, that, yeah. That's everybody. Whereas if I focus it a bit and I, okay, these are the exact type of people I want to work with, then it's easy to find out. It's like your story about the developer who wanted to build stuff for real estate agents. Yeah. And it's like, do you hang out with them? No. Do you do you actually talk to them? No. Are you interested in real estate? No. It's like, I wanted to work with the people that I'm actually interested in talking to and working with. And I started doing that probably six or seven years ago. And it was, it was a like night and day difference. Like I started to work with people that, actually it was a bit longer than that, but I started to work with people where I cared about their work, I cared about their business, and it started to show. And it was just a matter of like, okay, well now that I've done a few websites for these people and they're kind of industry leaders and I'm I'm that guy in that industry that makes websites for that type of people. And then it's just become like I don't really I people come to me like, Oh, I want a I want a website from you and I have a waiting list and stuff. So it, it ended up working out fairly well. Yeah. Well and that's a thing that a lot of people struggle with is finding their audience and it sounds like you just said you kind of narrowed that down over time so who did you end up focusing on and how did you do that because this is seriously keeping some people up at night this idea of like like I, and that's why a lot of people end up choosing real estate agents because everyone knows a real estate agent mm -hmm. so how did you figure out who were your people homework <laughs> it's funny <laughs> that people think that when they're done school they're done homework um, I've always been a big advocate of like you can be that top person, like whether it's a job interview, whether it's finding um, like a client to work with if you're a freelancer. It's like if you just do a bit of homework, like you're gonna stand out. So the homework that I did was first focusing on why I why I do what I do, and then thinking about okay, who are the type of people that who who have websites that I like? Who are the type of people that have online presences or businesses that I I really want to work with like who what's like the, the the top five kind of people I want to work with and then I started talking to them and I didn't start pitching them on websites I just wanted to get to know kind of what made them tick and how they picked who they picked to hire and kind of what they like I was kind of paying attention because I'm a nerd so I was like paying attention to and I'm kind of like a language nerd as well as a programming nerd so paying attention to the words and the way that they describe what they wanted for the type of work that I do web design so listening to them say like okay well I wanted a web I wanted a web designer that could do X I hired this web designer because X and then from there from that homework it's just like I've got the inside scoop on my industry now, so all I need to do is put that into practice. All I need to do is start talking to more people like that. I need to use writing and words on my website that reflect what they want. Like I was talking to I had four or five people last week about why they hired the web designer they do. So I still ask people that, even if I'm not, I might end up writing a book or an article about it, but I'm still just always curious about that. 
And it's funny because I was looking at a bunch of web designers' websites, and they all talk about, like, these are the skills that I have. This is the, like, I'm awesome at flat design and skeuomorphism or parallax scrolling and stuff. Yeah. I talked to I talked to a bunch of my friends that all have, like, million-dollar businesses. Like, they're all, like, top, top tier. I was talking to them about, like, why they hired who they hired, and none of them talked about skills. Like, none of them gave a shit about skills. They were all talking about, okay, well... I want somebody that I trust, that I feel confident has my back with my business because my business supports a lot of people. Like a lot of them have like eight or nine people on their teams that they work with. And it's like this person needs to be that team member, not just like some person that comes in and like does a site and like, yeah, this is good enough. Here's the site kind of thing. And as like looking at the language, there's such a disparity between the way that freelancers talk versus the way that the clients that they want talk. And I'm like, if people just focused on this, it would be a whole lot easier, whether it's like products or just freelancing service-based stuff. It's like, if you just do a little bit of homework, then you can, like, you can, go, you can go above and beyond anybody else because they're not yeah. doing that homework. Yeah, yeah. There's a bunch of stuff I want to kind of jump on there. Let's just back up a little bit because you said one of the things you did was you, you kind of looked at, like, who are the people you liked online? You started reading their websites. Who, you know, that was part of your process in discovering, mm -hmm. like, who you wanted to find. Can you guess, give us an example of that? Like, what's, like, kind of a, a typical customer you have right now? I know that your customers for your, your consulting side is probably a little bit different than your product side. I, yeah. Or maybe it's not. But uh, how did you find, you know, like, give us an example of, like, a typical customer, maybe for both, like, for consulting and uh, for the products? Yeah, so for the kind of design and service-based side of things, it was people that have businesses that I would like to have a business like. So it, it's a little vague, but it doesn't necessarily, because I don't know, like, I don't know in five years if I'm going to be writing books, but I, I know the type of business that I want to have, and it's the type of business that I have now, but, but like reaching a bigger audience or, or that sort of thing. So I, I was looking for people that... Are, are kind of like that. So the type of clients that I work with for the design and the service-based side of things are really entrepreneurs that are just killing it, like that are just doing well. Like one of my biggest clients for the longest time was a woman named Danielle Laporte, and she's like a best-selling author. She has product launches that are like well into the six figures on the first day, and I'm like, this woman is like the smartest woman I know on the internet. And so it's just like, I started to, and we both were in the same city at the time, and I ended up, I was started working with, because, like, you can't just, if you start freelancing, you can't just go for, like, the talk dog, like, I want to do your website. Like, you yeah. got to start somewhere. So I was working with other freelancers that were not at that level with their business yet, but it was still kind of the same kind of clients. So then she ended up finding out about me through other client work that I had done, and she came to me, and at the time I was like, that's pretty awesome. That's a client like that. She's on that list of a few people that I really want to work with. Yeah, and it, part of it was because you began with intention. Mm -hmm. Like you said, that's the person I want to reach. Yeah. I probably can't get to her right now, but there's other people like her that are down here. So I'm gonna start working with them. And yeah. she, because those people are in her circle, she ended up hearing about it. Yeah, and it's a matter of like taught like leaving comments on their website, subscribing to their newsletter and replying sometimes or talking to them on social media. Like just kind of being in that circle and being in that kind of it's just like if you're a web designer and you're not on like um designer news like Laravel's designer news or or some of these websites where designers go to talk, it's like, well what are you doing? Because like it's part of 
or if you're into like content marketing and you're not on like Hacker News or um, Inbound.org or Growth Hackers or that sort of thing, it's like you need to kind of hang out where your community's hanging out because they're not going to know who you are, especially in the beginning. They're not going to know who you are, so you got to kind of go to them. You got to go to where your audience lives and where your audience spends their time and start interacting with them there and not being the, like, hey, come and buy my book or like come and hire me, but just talking to them like a human being. Yeah. And offering help if you can, if they're asking for it, or just dialoguing. Like a lot of people that I've that I've worked with are just people that I've started talking to on the internet. Yeah, this is a good point because you know this what this brings up. Because I've given that same advice, and and I just realized now why it's sometimes hard to give that advice. Which is you you tell people that, and you can see in their heads, and even in your own head, you're like, yeah, but if you go just hang out, how do I? sell a product and make a million dollars. You know what I mean? Like there's this disconnect. Yeah. And what I just realized as you were talking is like, but yeah, but the, it's a process. Like yeah. you, you, you've got to like, like you said, do your homework. You've got to put in some hours. You've got to, um, like if with any group, even if you were kind of a part of that group, uh, it's going to take a little while for people to trust you. Mm-hmm. Right? Like and even if you're a good musician, like, and you you're a great blues musician and you move to a new city, it's not like they're just going to be like, you know, hey, you, out of the audience, come play. They're going to they're gonna want you to, like, hang out, show up at a few shows, maybe come to a few open mics. Then, yeah. you know, maybe you'll get some people inviting you to play with the band, but... Yeah, and that's funny because, like, I, that's what, like, when I moved to Vancouver, because I've been a touring musician for a long time, it's like, first thing I did, because I knew I wanted to be playing more shows, was go support other musicians, buy them drinks after their sets. And eventually we ended up being, like, doing fairly well in that city. And it was because we kind of made the connections. And it's funny, too, because people think, like, okay, well, it's all well and good for connections as, like, a freelancer, and that's really what drives business is is connections. But, like, if you look at top-level businesses, and I know I have friends that own, like, big digital agencies, and their clients are all from connections as well. So, like, it doesn't matter what level the business is at. It's yeah. still all about who you know and whether they trust you and respect you. And if your name has popped up on their screen or in their head or at an event or something more than once, yeah. and then it's just like, oh, I've heard of you. And that's a power, like, that's a big thing. Yeah. You, you do seem to do, like, I've noticed you do a lot of things um, differently. Like, you, you write a lot of stuff for other magazines, uh, like yeah. Inc. and um, some other, what are some other ones? Is Inc. the primary one? Um, I don't think there really is a primary one. So I write for Huffington Post, Inc., Forbes, Fast Company, The Next Web, couple Smashing Magazine, couple other ones. Yeah, and so why do you do that? What's what's kind of the benefit for you? Well, it's still it, it comes back to the point I made earlier. It's like I'm I'm trying to reach other I'm trying to reach a bigger audience, right? So I'm going to where that audience is first, and then my byline always says, "Written by Paul Jarvis." Here's his book. You sign up for his newsletter kind of thing, and then I can kind of see. And if I'm if I'm on top of things, I'll make like a, a landing page just for that publication, so I can track how many people signed up because of reading that publication, which I haven't done for the last couple because I've been off my game. But yeah, so I do that because I, I want to reach a bigger audience. Like I'm, I'm happy with my audience, but obviously I want to keep reaching more people. Books is really a numbers game because the, like my books are like 10 bucks. So in order to make a decent amount of money, I had to sell thousands and thousands of them. 
So I'm always trying to reach more people, whereas with my freelancing stuff, I'm charging 10 grand for a site. I don't need to work with that many people a year. Like I have the the group of people that I like to work with that can afford to afford that kind of stuff and that likes and sees the value of my work. But with books or with apps or with things that cost quite a bit less, you need to it's a numbers game. Like it's it's volume. And I, I've realized that um, how different it is as a like marketing high end web stuff versus marketing ten dollar books. Yeah. So yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting learning curve there. And and why have you gone the the ten dollar book route as opposed to like I mean you could write a technical book on you could write about a lot of stuff like you could write about you know client funnels and all sorts of stuff. So why have you focused on writing ten dollar books? Um, I think it's because and I've, I've thought about this a lot. Like the the reason that I can't charge the like Nathan Barry amounts, like the forty, fifty, hundred dollar, is because his stuff is so specific and it's for such a specific audience. And a lot of the stuff that he does is for like developers, and they have money or they can write stuff off. So the, the, there's the value there. Whereas a lot of the stuff that I write is very, it's still useful, but it's not as specific. So it's like these are my entrepreneurial stories in my book, everything I know, or these are the habits that I see good creatives have in the good creative or that sort of thing. So it's not as tactical for me. That's kind of where I like to write. And I would rather play the volume game just because I don't think the books would sell in that model where they're like $40 or more because it, you don't see the, like, obviously I think there's benefit in them, but you don't have the, like, list at the end where it's like, okay, I can take this, apply it here, and make this money back. It's just like uh, Brennan Dunn's W Freelancing. Like, he could charge anything for that. It's so valuable. He could yeah. charge $1,000 for that, and people would get their money back in a few weeks. Yeah. But for my stuff, it's not as tactical as that, and that's just that's just my writing and what I what I like writing and where I feel... I provide value for the people that like my writing, so, yeah. And have you been able to make it work? Obviously you have, I guess. I think a lot of people, the, the question they have is, you know, they think, well, because especially in kind of bootstrapping circles, a low-priced product is kind of looked down on. You know, mm -hmm. like don't have a $5 a month web app and don't <laughs> sell, um, you know, a product for less than $25, $30. Bucks. Um, so how have you made that work? Have you been able to get the volume that you need? And how did you do that? Yeah, and a lot of it is the, like we were talking about earlier, like writing guest posts, doing things. Because it's such a low barrier to entry, I don't need to have a sales page that's like six or seven pages long. I can just basically, here's the book blurb, here's an excerpt, click buy. And that's really, like my, my landing pages for the sales pages for books are a lot different than other landing pages for like $100 books just because I don't really need to I don't need to show as much value because they're not monetarily priced as high but I think that I can just I can more people are likely to buy those books because they're at the price they're at and it's not like Amazon one click is such a powerful thing dude it's like when I put my books on Amazon credit cards are already stored so yeah. people just like oh there's the book bought they don't have to enter in. The, they don't have to find their wallet. They don't have to enter in their credit card. And when I put my books on Amazon, it's just like, holy smokes! Like there's such a volume. And I mean, obviously, you need to bring your own people to the party. Like, there's I think 13 million books on Amazon. Uploading your book to Amazon isn't gonna. You're gonna result in zero sales. Yeah. You need to like actually work and push it. But once people are there, it that there's such. 
a small amount of friction. One, people trust Amazon because most people have bought something from there. But then yeah. the second, the, that one click is huge. And then people can see reviews. People can see, like, okay, one of my books has 100 five-star reviews. So, like, okay, I, I think this guy probably knows what he's talking about because there's that many reviews. Obviously, I only look at the one-star reviews, and I think there's three or four of them. Yeah. And that's all I focus on. But as a, as a buyer, a potential buyer, they're like, okay, this guy probably knows what he's talking about. And there's a community built in. Like, people can see... The highlights, they can see that, oh, like 500 people highlighted this one section. Some of the things people highlight and a lot of people highlight, it's just, it's interesting. And it's a good insight for a writer to see that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I have been able to drive the volume. Like, all of my books sell, like, over 5,000 copies each. And they've only wow. all been out at the most for, I think, three years. My vegan cookbook, I think, has been out for three-ish years. And then all my other ones have been out for two or less and they've all sold, yeah, between five and 10,000. I think it may be a bit more for one of them. Wow. That's yeah. actually, that's really crazy. That's a, that is a lot of volume. Five yeah. to 10,000, that's more than I've heard. I mean, that's more than I've heard a lot of regular authors, you know, real authors. Yeah. And that's because I've focused on my, a lot of authors and a lot of, it's so funny too. Like I know a lot of people that have publishing deals with big publishing companies and they think that, okay, well now that I have a publishing deal, they're going to market it for me. It's like, unless you're like, whatever, Stephanie Meyer or whatever, like unless they're going to, unless they know their return on investment is super high, then they're going to do the bare minimum that they need to do to get your book out there. Yeah. So for me, because I'm self-published, I can do whatever the hell I want. So I tried crazy, like one of my books right now is free on Amazon, and I, I play with that all the time because you can set it for free. I think the last time I made everything I know free, 41,000 people downloaded it. And I was just like, like it's just, it's stupid how many people yeah. downloaded it. Not that many people read it, but like you can play with things when it's, when it's your own product. Yeah. You can play, like for my first book, I gave away llamas. Like if you tweeted about the book, you could yeah. win uh, an adopted llama from the llama sanctuary that my wife and I support in Washington. Yeah. So I gave away five. I gave away five llamas, and that, I think I got like a thousand people tweeted about it because I gave away. And I think it was like fifty dollars to to adopt each llama. So yeah. I guess I spent two hundred fifty bucks. We got a thousand people talking about the book the day that it came out. That's awesome. Llamas, man. That's I, the I, tactic. Yeah. I, <laughs> Llamas. <laughs> now, now we're gonna have yeah people. <laughs> that would be funny if I, everyone just started using that same thing, like that same tactic. Yeah. Um, we're gonna get a we'll get in a bit more into the tactical stuff in part two here, but let's kind of end this section here with a, a question from Paul Gamble, and he's wondering how do you deal with being discouraged? I, I think it's a question about discouragement. How do you deal with being discouraged? from solo entrepreneurial failures and being able to continue forward towards your goals. What, what's something you'd say to someone that's, I, I mean, this is something that comes up a lot. People have tried and tried and tried, and you know, that can be debilitating. Yeah. Uh, what are some things you've seen work? Um, war of attrition is basically, like, you just got to keep at it. Like, the only way to guarantee, and it sounds kind of trite and motivational, but the only way to guarantee failure is to stop. So... And I mean, it's not even like having a successful track record is a guarantee. Like I've started three startups that have absolutely flopped. And I still have like I still I have a successful freelancing business. I write books that lots of people buy, but I've tried other things and it hasn't worked. But 
I'm still, because my, I guess it keeps coming back to the why, right? Like, I know what I want to do. It's just a matter of finding, and I think that's important too, right? Like, if you focus on the why instead of the exact specific, then maybe it's a different, like, I didn't think I would be a writer, like, five years ago before I started writing, but yeah, I, knew exactly. that, I knew what I wanted to do was help people with certain things. So if writing hadn't worked out, maybe I would have focused more on, like, a, a different avenue to get there. But the why doesn't go away. Like, the why is always there. You just maybe have to find a different route to get to how you're using that why to make a living. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree completely. I think that, I think one thing to realize is we all face it. Like, we all have those moments where, like, just the other day, I was, like, walking with my wife, and I was going, everyone hates my stuff. I'm, you know, nothing's working, all this stuff. I'll and stop it, sending those emails. <laughs> Paul just keeps saying, that <laughs> but you know, it, it's funny what can turn that around because, you know, in this particular case, I was, I'm, I was selling my second workshop. First one sold out really fast. I was trying to figure out why is this next one it had, didn't sell out, and it turned out I think it was just because of two things. One, my timing was wrong, and specifically when I sent the emails, and two, mm -hmm. the wording was wrong. The first email I sent out wasn't really specific and didn't actually ask people to to uh, you know to register for the workshop yeah. and so I was all down about this one thing because um, it's easy to kind of get down just because we try things we worked I was up till three in the morning trying to get this thing out but all it took was me you know trying again I mean I guess eventually you have to know when to stop but trying again, and then all of a sudden, bang, I sold out the rest of the mm -hmm. spots, you know? And I, I've got other stories, too, of when I tried again and it didn't work, and you just have to pick yourself up and and keep, try something else. Yeah, but it's, exactly. It's funny how that can, how, um, how down you can feel, you know, and then how quickly that can change. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think a lot of times, too, like when people have seen that success, and then it's almost worse when you've seen it and then it doesn't happen again. You're like, was that like a one-hit wonder? Like, well, yeah. what the hell is going on? Yeah. So, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Cool, man. Okay, so let's – we're going to end it right there. And uh, anyone listening to the audio, you can go and check out Paul online. His website is pjrvs, as in Sam, dot com. And his new book is The Good Creative, right? How's The Good Creative doing? It's doing really well. I, I did the Nathan Berry double launch. <laughs> What's the Nathan Berry double launch? Um, he, he released something. I can't remember. I think it was the last product that he had. He released it, and then he cut it off after 24 hours and then put it out to the general public like a month later. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to do that for my mailing list. Like my mailing list are my favorite people. So it's like, if you're on my mailing list, you can get the book a month early. Everybody else, you got to wait. So I did a double, I did a double lunch. Nice. And yeah. was it good like for other reasons? Did you get good feedback? Did you like, what other benefit is there to the double launch? Well, I paid for all the costs of the book in the first couple hours of launch, so that was good because it was so time sensitive. Everybody bought it right away, and I was like, okay, I've recouped the cost on the book. That's good. The downside was when I launched a month later, it didn't have as big of a splash because all the people that were super keen on buying it bought it, 
And then so sales have been slowly ramping up from that. So yeah. it's definitely something to learn. But it was uh, it was fun those two days. I think I did a 48-hour sale. And those two days were really, really were like the best product launch that I've ever had. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, so definitely check out the good creative pjrvs.com slash creative. And Paul has a few other experiments that he's done that I think you should check out. Um, well, the, his best experiment is his Sunday Dispatches newsletter. You can sign up for that right on his website. And then the other one, I'm looking for it now, is uh, write and sell your own, sorry, write and sell your damn book. Um, and that's, is the email course for that still available? Oh, yeah. It's, it, it will live on forever as long as I pay for hosting. And is that at, what is that at? That's a... Um, mydambook.com. Mydambook.com. All right, all right, all right, all right. Thanks again to Paul for being on the show. Again, if you want the full unedited video interview, Paul and I get into the details of how he builds his products, how to build your online reputation, so much more. Go to justinjackson.ca slash audience course. And if you want to help the show out and you're listening right now, if you're on iTunes, I need you to go to the iTunes, search for product people, and give us a nice review in the iTunes store. It really, really helps. Also, all of you listening on Stitcher, if you could search for the show on Stitcher and give us a five-star review on there as well. We need way more reviews on Stitcher. We've been ignoring that platform, and we just need your help. So if you're able to help with either of those, that would be huge. Again, I'm Justin Jackson. You can read my stuff on justinjackson.ca or my newsletter, justinjackson.ca slash newsletter. Or you can follow me on Twitter, at MIJustin. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.